welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Self-diagnosis has become a hot-button topic in the mental health world as social media has ramped up many people's awareness of these conditions. But how valid is self-diagnosis? Some people argue it's dangerous, while others argue that self-diagnosis is just as valid as a formal diagnosis. In today's episode, we're going to wade into this minefield and see what grains of truth we can pull out, and where this tool is useful and where it isn't. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash self-diagnosis. All right, keep on listening to find out what we actually know about ourselves. Over the course of the pandemic, we've seen a large increase in the number of people seeking an ADHD diagnosis. And this increase of diagnoses is something that is only continuing a trend that we've been seeing around the world for over a decade now. There are a lot of theories around why such an increase would be happening, but one of the most likely reasons for the overall trend is that there is just a lot more knowledge about ADHD, and as well, doctors having better tools to screen for it. And really, the cultural shift around ADHD has been immense. While there is certainly still a lot of stigma associated with ADHD, it doesn't have the same level that it used to have. Additionally, pop culture has slowly been moving away from the harmful stereotypes of squirrel and how meds turn children into obedient zombies. That isn't to say those tropes have completely disappeared, and in fact in some cases are fairly prevalent, but along with those harmful stereotypes, we're also seeing some better representation now, which is a great step forward. Along with that pop culture shift, we're also getting to see glimpses of ADHD on social media. And these representations of ADHD are letting people who would otherwise not be exposed to these ideas start to understand a little bit more about their own brains. Someone will be watching a video on TikTok and go, wait, doesn't everyone's brain work like that? And that's kind of the point. Most of the time, people don't understand that what's going on inside their heads may not be the same way things are going on in other people's heads. We may know we're struggling, but the assumption isn't that our brain is working differently somehow. No, it's usually the assumption that we're lazy, or that we're a bad person somehow because we struggled to keep our dishes from piling up or putting away our laundry. Of course, the fact that people are seeking diagnoses from social media isn't always the best thing. A recent study on the most popular videos on TikTok under the ADHD tag found that nearly half of them contain misinformation. Now, while I'm absolutely sure that is at least partially true, I did have some issues with the study because of its constraints and definitions of misinformation. For one thing, it only looked at the top 100 videos on TikTok, which is probably less than an hour of content. And for my problems with information, let's just take this idea of ADHD paralysis, where people find themselves unable to get up and do things that they need to do. This is not something that is documented as a symptom of ADHD in any diagnostic criteria. But if you ask me, that sounds a lot like executive dysfunction which again, admittedly, is not part of any ADHD diagnostic. Yet, as we went over in last week's episode, executive dysfunction is something that ADHDers absolutely suffer from. And that's not just from me. That's from one of the most prominent ADHD researchers, Dr. Russell Barkley. And he's someone I definitely consider an authority on ADHD. And yet, 
ADHD paralysis is still considered ADHD misinformation, which I will say is technically true, but perhaps not quite technically accurate. Nonetheless, misinformation is absolutely out there about ADHD, and it can be hard to tell the difference between that and the truth. This is compounded by the fact that false information is able to travel six times more quickly than the truth on the internet. People are simply more likely to share sensational claims, and that leads to misinformation traveling far and wide. This can absolutely be a problem for people who are self-diagnosing because they might not have the best information at hand. Who's to say that video you related really well to was based in fact, or just some theory the person came up with on the spot? One of the things that I absolutely agree with the TikTok study on was the fact that many of the videos simply didn't have enough context and didn't have enough nuance. And I think that's fair since social media relies on short-form content to get its message across. You're not going to have a lot of nuance in a 60-second video or in a single tweet. And that nuance can be incredibly important because so many mental health conditions present in similar fashions. One of the first things we should be considering about self-diagnosis is why it even exists in the first place. Because in an ideal world, we probably wouldn't need to rely on self-diagnosis at all. Most people who are self-diagnosing are not doing so because they don't want to get a formal diagnosis. The reason that self-diagnosis is popular is because it can be incredibly hard for some people to get that diagnosis, and so they're simply using the best tools at their disposal. For some of this, this might not seem like a very good reason to consider self-diagnosis. I mean, when I went in to get my assessment, all I had to do was call my health insurance and set up an appointment. A few forms later, and after a couple of interviews, it was apparent that I fit the bill for a diagnosis. Sure, keeping appointments can be hard for those of us with ADHD, but overall, it was a fairly painless experience. And I don't think from start to finish it took me more than a month, maybe two, but it's been a while since I went through that. And of course, I'm white and male, and I live in a place that has fairly good mental health resources. Also, as I mentioned, I had insurance that covered getting that assessment. A change in any of those factors could have made it incredibly more difficult for me to get that diagnosis. So really, self-diagnosis often comes down to an issue of equity. While it wasn't difficult for me to get my diagnosis, it isn't always so simple, and this can be even more of an issue when we get out of the United States. I get plenty of emails from people asking about how they can get diagnosed when the country they live in just doesn't make it easy for them to get mental health care. And even in many of the countries that do offer those services, it can take years to get that assessment. So I completely understand why some people want to, or have to, skip getting a formal diagnosis. With this, we also want to consider what we even get out of a formal diagnosis. One of the clearest reasons to seek out a formal diagnosis is for treatment options. Without that formal diagnosis by a trained professional, it is unlikely that you're going to be able to treat your ADHD with any kind of medication. The most common way to treat ADHD is with stimulant medication, which is a controlled substance in the United States. This means that these drugs are subject to stricter governmental controls, meaning these medications are much harder to get a prescription for, and you absolutely won't get them without a diagnosis. Since medication is hands down the most effective way to treat ADHD, that alone makes getting a formal diagnosis more desirable. Sure, a lot of people worry about the side effects, but it's equally important to consider the side effects of not treating your ADHD. Additionally, if you want to get accommodations at work or school, you are going to need that formal diagnosis to get those. Of course, with that, there is something to be said about not wanting to disclose your ADHD, 
especially in some work settings. But many accommodations are things that you can get done without actually disclosing, and so therefore without a formal diagnosis. For example, in many places, you can easily use something like noise-canceling headphones to help reduce distractions, or maybe something even as simple as keeping a water bottle at your desk to make sure you're being reminded to drink water throughout the day. But if you were looking to ask something that might not be so easily provided, like, say, getting more frequent check-ins with a supervisor so that you can be sure to meet those deadlines on time, that might need actual accommodation requests. Now, depending on where you work, that may or may not need a formal diagnosis. But here in the U.S., according to the Americans with Disability Act, employers are only required to provide accommodations for disabilities that they know about. But this doesn't mean that you need to disclose this information to everyone in the company. In many cases, you may be able to only disclose to HR, who will guide you through that accommodation process. And I just want to mention here, this isn't real legal advice. I am not a lawyer. So before you move forward with anything, make sure you really read up on what is covered in your state or in your country. And of course, if you're trying to get an IEP or 504 at your school, you're going to need to disclose and have that formal diagnosis to get those accommodations there. But more than any of that, the biggest reason to talk to your doctor is for a differential diagnosis. All right, but what is a differential diagnosis? Basically, there are a lot of mental health conditions that can behave like other conditions. What this means for our assessment is that while we may go in for an ADHD diagnosis, there is a real likelihood that we may have a differing condition. For example, let's say we're having issues with inattention. In many cases, this could be a result of ADHD. However, it can also be a result of depression, bipolar disorder, autism, or even if we have some kind of sleep issue. So does this mean inattention isn't really a symptom of ADHD? No, but it does mean we have to trace back where that symptom is coming from. A number of episodes back, I did an episode on comorbidity with depression. And one of the keys there was looking for who's driving the bus, meaning that when we treat outcomes, we want to know where that symptom is coming from. Because if my inattention is coming from lack of sleep, then trying to use methods to help with my ADHD is not going to be particularly effective there. What's important for us to look at here is symptoms versus outcomes of symptoms. So for example, perfectionism is not a symptom of ADHD. And in many cases, it appears to be the opposite. Nonetheless, many people with ADHD do have issues with perfectionism. And it is precisely because of an opposite symptom that we develop that perfectionism. Being corrected for our lack of attention to detail as kids can lead us to overcorrect in the opposite way and then develop this maladaptive behavior. This doesn't make perfectionism a symptom of ADHD, but it absolutely can be an outcome. And this is true for any number of symptoms that we may be experiencing. This outcome versus symptom can make it easy for us to misdiagnose ourselves because we likely do not have the background to really understand all the variables that may be affecting these outcomes. What this means is that it can be incredibly useful for us to have a professional working with us to help figure out what those root causes are. When we're in the midst of things, it can be very difficult for us to determine what's causing what, because we're just too close to the problem and we might be discounting other obvious solutions. To add to this, we may still want to consider self-diagnosis because self-diagnosis is often a stepping stone along the way to a formal diagnosis. After all, we often 
won't look into an issue unless we think it's an actual issue. With ADHD, we have a lot of symptoms that many people would just construe as laziness or any other number of character defects. Even with a formal diagnosis, I still fall into this trap of believing that some of my ADHD symptoms are just for me not trying hard enough or being lazy. And yes, even with everything I've written and said about laziness on this podcast, those thoughts can still creep into my head. Self-diagnosis can help define some of those symptoms into a framework that makes more sense and makes it something that you can actually do about your symptoms. Now, to finish up, we also have an issue of what happens if we go in for a diagnosis and they don't tell us what we want to hear. The most important thing to consider here is the reasoning for their assessment. If they tell you that you can't have ADHD because you're an adult and ADHD only happens in kids, well, then find someone else to assess you because they clearly don't know what they're talking about. But if it's because they believe you're actually dealing with a different mental health condition, then that's probably something worth considering. If you still think they've gotten it wrong, maybe you could ask about comorbidities or even consider getting a second opinion. But don't just toss out the information because it doesn't agree with your own biased assumptions that you went in with. Certainly doctors are not going to get it right every time, but it should be reasonable to at least listen to what they have to say given that they at least seem to know what they're talking about. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's just quickly go over what we talked about in this episode. So yeah, this is normally where the top tips would go, but I'm not sure that works as well for this episode. So I just wanted to break things down right here real quick. What I'm trying to get at with this episode is that self-diagnosis tends to be an issue of equity. And the fact that not everyone can easily get assessed for their mental health conditions is a problem. There's still a lot of stigma and misinformation around ADHD, so getting that diagnosis can be difficult for some. What it comes down to, though, is what that diagnosis is going to do for you. If you need it for medication and accommodations, then yes, absolutely try and get that formal diagnosis. But if you're just looking for ways to better work with your brain, going with self-diagnosis isn't a bad option. And to be sure, if you do go the route of self-diagnosis, just be sure to be open to other options as well. As we went over, there are a lot of ways that ADHD symptoms can show up in other mental health conditions. So just stay open and stay curious. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you're diagnosed with as long as you're doing those things that make it easier for you to work with your brain. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can leave me a message over at hackingyouradhd.com contact. You can also reach me on Twitter at hackingyouradhd. And I've also just launched a TikTok channel that you can find by searching for Hacking Your ADHD. If you'd like links or to read this episode's transcript, you can find those on the show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to share episodes with someone you think would get something out of it. Just click the share button on your podcast player and send your bestie the link with something like, hey, I love this episode of Hacking Your ADHD. I'd bet you'd get a lot out of it too. Or you can support the show through my Patreon at hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. Sign up for the 2, 5, 10, 25, or even $50 a month level and get some great perks like monthly bonus content or early access to upcoming episodes. That's hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. 
for interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out Eric Tiver's show, ADHD Rewired. For those of you with kids, be sure to check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. And even if you don't have kids, his show is still a great resource for ADHD management. If you're interested in exploring issues of race and diversity in ADHD, be sure to check out ADHD Diversified with MJ. I also do a live Q&A with all the hosts of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network on the second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to sign up, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. To the person who stole my glasses, I will find you. I have contacts.